0: You are listening to an eight-week teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled The Lord's Prayer. The invitation from God is not into religion, but a relationship. And like any relationship, communication is vital to its success. This series explores Jesus' response to His disciples' desire to learn to pray. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. We are in our series series on the Lord's prayer and we're going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 6 verses 13 it's just one verse um it's going to pack a it's going to be very important going to pack a punch Matthew 6 and while you're training let me just set this up for us um, I read an interview a while back that stuck with me and you'll see why it stuck with me here in a second it was an interview um, with a man who was in prison for murder. And the reason why he's in prison for murder, he was speeding along one day and he hit a little boy. And uh, when he hit the little boy, he didn't stop, but he, he ran off and, allowed, and let this boy uh, die by himself um, in the middle of the night. Um, some people think if, if he would have stopped, they, he could have perhaps saved, but he didn't stop. He went on and he didn't get away though. They, they found him, they arrested him. Uh, they tried him. Uh, they sentenced him. And from prison, the interview asked what we'd all want to ask, which is, why did you do this? Right? Like, why did you hit this boy and just drive away? And he he talked about a time when he was when he was a little boy, and his dad had this really this this watch, this expensive prize watch. That his dad kept kept in a handkerchief in the top drawer, and he wouldn't let his kids play with it or really even see it. And so he said, I wanted to see it because we were never allowed to see it. So I I went, when he wasn't home, I went into his, his top drawer and I pulled out the handkerchief. When I pulled out the handkerchief, the watch slipped through the handkerchief and through my hand and it fell on the ground and it broke. And I panicked. And so I picked the watch up, I put it back in the handkerchief and I put it into his drawer thinking that, you know, hopefully he doesn't find out. Well, the dad did find out. So the dad brings his kids in, you know, <laughs> The lineup, and uh, if you you had brothers and sisters, you know what the lineup is all about. And uh, who did this? Who did this? And uh, nobody said a word, and he didn't say a word, and he escaped trouble. And he learned that day that the best way to deal with your problems is not to face the music. It's not to admit you're wrong. It's to hide and to lie. And then he said this to the reporter. He He said, I failed all those little tests until the big test came, and I failed that one too. I mean, how do you run off? Like, when you you hit a child, how do you just run off and just leave this child to die alone on the cold, wet pavement? All it takes is practice. The lack of integrity in this man had become so instinctive that driving off was like the natural thing for him to do. And let's chat for a second. Let's just be real. Let's not throw too many stones because nobody sets out in life, say, you know what? I'm going to get married and I'm just going to have an affair and I'm just going to ruin everything. That's what I want to do. But there are a hundred little tests that you fail along the way. And when the big test comes, you're all practiced up. Nobody makes it their life goal to ruin all the relationships. Bitterness and anger are a result of failing dozens and dozens of little tests of forgiveness. You see, life is full of tests. And they can either refine you or they can destroy you they can make you or break you and um, that's why Jesus includes in this prayer um, verse 13 he says and lead us pray this and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil some translations say the evil one deliver us from evil the Greek word here for temptation means a trial or a test And we don't know when these trials and when these tests come in life. That they do come and they just happen. They don't. They don't alert us. They don't. They don't warn us. Hey, tomorrow you're going to experience something really difficult so be ready. They just come. They just happen. Um, I'm not proud of this, but in college I I miss upwards of maybe 50 percent of my classes. When I showed up at school, and there and I found out like you could skip class and, and they won't tell your parents. Really? Okay, I'm skipping class. And so. Um, especially like if it was the morning, like a 7 a.m. class. I mean, that's, that's entrapment. I mean, that, it shouldn't even count that. But I would miss classes. Here's why I'd miss classes. Because they would tell you when the tests were. I mean, how dumb is that? They'd tell you, like, you're going to have a test on this day and this day. And this is like the sections that it's going to cover. So I would just, if I didn't want to go to class, I would go to class. And I would just cram and then take the test. And I'd, and I'd do pretty well. Um. But I had this business law class, which surprisingly isn't as exciting as it sounds. And, uh, and in this class, you couldn't do that. Uh, they didn't allow you to skip and cram because the professor would have pop quizzes, pop quizzes, surprise quizzes. And not only that, he didn't just have pop quizzes, which is, he had a pop test. So check this out. I went to, I, I was in a class where you actually had to keep up with the reading. And you actually had to do the homework, and you had to absorb what you're learning. And so now I know what a tort is. It's not just a French uh, dessert. It's also a breach of civil law. Um, actually, I Googled that too. But uh, I, so it, I don't know why he did it. Anyway, but you couldn't, just, you couldn't just like cram for the big test. There was all these little tests. So if you kept up with the material, you could own the test. But if you didn't, the test owned you. Life is like that. Life is full of tests. Pop tests. Without any warning, do they show up? And a test shows you who you truly are to keep you from denial, whether you really know, um, you know, you think you're doing well on a diet until you step on a scale, and then they tell you. And that's what a test does. A test takes what's in you and brings it out of you to show you what you're really like. And this that's why Jesus says, pray. Lead me not into temptation. Lead me not into, when these tests come, deliver me from evil. I know these tests are going to come my way, but help me pass the test. Help me pass the test. So how do we pass the test? How do we handle this? Well, one thing we need to do is we need to expect them. We need to expect them. So Jesus, this is a, the Lord's Prayer is a model for prayer. It's not, um, how how do I say this? It's not not a formula, but it is a structure. Um, You know, you should always pray this way. And uh, when you pray, always pray this way. So we always pray this way, which means that we're constantly going to be praying, lead me not into temptation, deliver me from evil. Now, why would you always pray that? Why would Jesus tell us, hey, when, 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 here's how you need to pray. You need to pray that when you face temptation, pray that, that the Lord deliver you from falling into evil. Help you because they're always, tests are always going to come. So expect them. So expect them. I mean, the Bible's full of this. A Christian is to anticipate. First Peter 4 says this. Beloved, do not be what? What's that say? Surprised for those who didn't pick them up? At the fiery trial, when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Many Christians, when they experience trouble, act like something strange is happening to them. James 1, 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when. Not if. Not over. You know, if you sit in the back row, you're going to expect, you know, front row people don't, but back row people, they experience trials. Front row people, it's not what he's saying. he's saying. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you experience trials of various kinds. Co- There's a variety of trials. Did you realize that? There's all kinds of things. So, like, yeah, it could be a marriage trial. Difficulty. It could be um, being sick. It could be uh, a relational uh, difficulty. Losing a job. Your kids it could be a trial. Test after test, because there's not just a day of trial. The Bible talks talks about days, plural, of trial. So you face one, and there's another. It's not like you you know you, you experience one trial, then boom, Jesus just like you know just lifts you up into heaven. No, you experience. Trials. Life is mountaintops and valleys. And that's what I love about the Bible. The Bible doesn't just paint this utopia fantasy life for the Christian, but talks about um, how grimy life can be. It doesn't paint a sterile picture. So people in the Bible, they get sick. People in the Bible, they die. They are betrayed. They are wrongly accused. They grow weary. They lose heart, just like you and I. No matter how holy you are, I don't care if you wake up at four in the morning and you just kind of float around your room memorizing scripture you're going to face trial. You can't pray your way out of trial. You can't read enough verses to get rid of trial. But you can't expect it. That helps. When you, when you expect that trials come, that really helps. How I many here have been in fist fight before? Like, not just dr- daydreamed about it, but you actually, like, threw hands. Come on, no, this isn't an ongoing investigation. You can be honest with me. Go ahead, raise your hand. we got a few women, nice. And so we... Uh, <laughs> So, we, so is it not better if you're in a fist fight that you're ready for it? You know, like, you're like you are like, got my shoulder back, I got my stance right. You know, you're totally dialed into what's happening. You're not like, hey, what's, you know, leaning in like this. Not, that's not the way you win a fight, by the way. I know many of you didn't raise your hands. So I just got to warn you, as your pastor, like, be ready for a fight. In, in life, we have to be ready for these trials you gotta, You got to be prepared. If you're ready for a fight, your chances of winning that fight go up by a factor of 10 at least. You see, and here's my experience. When people experience trials, most of the discouragement that we go through is not a result of the trial itself. It's the fact that we are surprised that a trial is even happening. It's not the trouble It's a surprise that we're having trouble. How could this be happening to me? Why is this happening to me? 50, 70, I'd have to think 90% of the discouragement that we feel when we go through trouble is not because of trouble itself. It's that we are surprised that the trouble is even happening. Christians expect trials to happen because we read our Bibles and the Bible says trials will come. Jesus said, I took it on the chin. You're going to take it on the chin. So maybe you work really diligently at your job. You you know, you put in the time, you put in the effort. You're more qualified than him, but he gets the promotion and you don't. And the worst part is, is now he's your boss. It's a trial. It's a test. So what are you going to do? I'll tell you what you're not going to do. You're not going to be surprised. Or Maybe, maybe you go out of your way to help someone. You pour out lots of money. You pour out lots of time. And all they do is take advantage of you. And now you're hearing that they're actually talking bad things about behind you, behind your back. And you're amazed at how violent your thoughts are. You're amazed at how you start to withdraw from people. And you don't want to help anyone, help anyone anymore. What's the use? People just take advantage of you. What do I get out of this? It's a fiery trial. Testing you. It's bringing the worst in you, check this out, out of you. When you, you know, if, so I've got this cup of coffee here. I won't do it because it's hot, but just imagine I'm holding it. and if, I, if, I, if you were to bump into me and coffee spilled all over me, why did coffee spill all over me? You could say, it's your fault because you bumped into me. But coffee wouldn't have came out of that cup if it wasn't in that cup. When people bump into you and stuff comes out, anger. Well, they bumped into me. Eh, that anger was in there. It was in there all along. They didn't put it there. It was just in that reservoir. But a test, a test came up. You weren't ready for it. It pop test, and you failed because you weren't ready. It's an opportunity to get you better, not bitter. You see, we have this theory. This is true of all human beings. All human beings have this theory that good people have good lives and bad people have bad lives. But in reality, some bad people have good lives and some good people have bad lives. Christians don't buy into this theory. You know Why? Because Christians look at the love of their life, they look at Jesus, the one who only the only good person who really ever lived, and he had a terrible life. The amount that he suffered, the rejection, the injustice, the oppression, the alienation. And when they look at one of the best persons ever, living one of the worst lives ever, they realize that actually the cross is the fundamental structure of life. And in the hands of God. Any death that I would experience, any death of reputation, any death that I would experience is going to lead to a resurrection. That yes, seeds die, but they come forth as mighty oaks. Yes, under pressure, uh, coal is squeezed in, but it becomes a diamond. Under fire, the ore becomes gold. And you realize that there's there's nothing in life that can actually... Do anything but make you better if you're ready for the test. So the Christians don't only expect the test, but they embrace them. Check out what it, this says in James one. It says, "For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let the steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing." Meaning, like, because here's the thing, man we we think that that that. Um, growth in God is just going to happen because we, you know, we have just good things happen. That's not how growth happens in life. Growth doesn't c- come when, like, everything's going well. Because if the truth be told, if we get under the surface, I mean, if I was, if I was a betting man, I, I would say this. I would say that in each one of our hearts, when, some, when our life is going really well, we think we did that. The reason why your life is going well because you are fantastic. You are so fantastic. But when something goes bad, that's God's fault. That's on Him. Life's going good? Well, of course it's good. I'm a good person. You see, when suffering actually brings out and reveals our need for God, and that's where spiritual growth comes from, but it comes from pain. It doesn't come from things are going well. You grow physically through putting your body under pressure and pain. When you, when you think about the things that you've learned in your life that you've really, really learned, it didn't come through a good experience. It happened through a bad experience because you fell down and you scraped your knee. And that's the way it happens spiritually. Now I'm going to read you a quote. It's from Tozer. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to dial in mentally here. All right? So just kind of give your brain a little massage and dial in with me. He's going to say some things that are a little heady, but you got to stay with me. Secondly you got to pay attention because this is a long quote, so I can't say it twice, all right? So you got to, we're going to do this once. So dial in, you ready? Okay, here we go. The fallow, it's an unplanted field, is smug, contented, protected from the shock of the plow and the agitation of being broken up. Such a field as it lies year after year becomes familiar landmark to the crow and to the blue jay, safe and undisturbed. It sprawls lazily in the sunshine, the picture of sleepy contentment. Now, some of you are like, stop there, pastor. Just pray and let us go because that's what I want. I, wanna, like, I want like, serene surroundings. I want to lay lazily in the field. I want contentment and peace. Thank you very much. But then he says this. But that field pays a terrible price for its tranquility. Because never does it see the miracle of growth... Never does it feel the motions of mounting life, nor the sea of wonders of bursting seed, nor the beauty of ripening grain. Fruit it can never know because it is afraid of the plow and the harrow, meaning the breaking up of the ground. And direct opposite to this, the cultivated field has yielded itself to the adventure of living. The protecting fence is open to admit the plow, and the plow has come in as plows always do, practical Cruel, businesslike, and in a hurry. Peace has been shattered by the shouting farmer and the rattle of machinery. The field has felt the travail of change. It has been upset, turned over, bruised, and broken, but its rewards come hard upon its labors. The seed shoots up in the daylight, its miracle of life, curious, exploring the new world above it. All over the field, the hand of God is at work in the age-old, ever-renewed service of creation." Now things are born to grow, to mature and consummate the grand prophecy latent in the seed when it entered the ground. Now, one of the coolest sentences ever. Nature's wonders follow the plow. You can have your serene life, but that's all you'll have. If you want fruit, If you want meaning, if you want purpose, if you want life, then embrace the plow. That's what he's saying there. And that's what Jesus is saying. Because he's saying, because you might think if you just heard the first part of that verse, you know, it says, the first part says, and lead us not into temptation. Hey, you know, Jesus, take away any bad circumstance. Just, just keep me away from anything that's going to make it go back." And he doesn't say that. He says, the second verse says, the second part of the verse says, "But deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil, or the evil one who produces So anyway, just evil. Keep me from evil." What is he saying? He's saying sin is the real villain here. It's not your circumstance. Ten tons of suffering can't hurt you. One ounce of sin can absolutely destroy you. Ten tons of sin, excuse me, ten tons of suffering can do nothing to hurt you. One ounce of sin can destroy you. So that's why he's praying. He's saying that sin is the only thing that could really hurt you. So he's saying, when when the tests come, pray that you don't fall in a trap into evil. Keep me from evil. He's not saying keep me from bad circumstances. He's saying, look, I know because I look at Jesus and He had bad circumstances. Bad circumstances are going to come, but when they come, here's what I really want. I don't want you to change my circumstance, God. The Christian prays, keep me from evil. Keep me from sin. Keep me from falling into the trap. If you respond in faith and in face of the trial, it can only make you better. But if you face the trials of bitterness and anger with selflessness, it will ruin you. It will ruin you. Yeah, when you when you're it's going through it, when you're really going through it, you pray. Yeah, maybe you pray, God help, you know, God, I man, I I want these circumstances to be better. But God, what I really want is I want to pass the test. I don't want to fall into sin. See, Christians don't just, they're they're not just interested in getting rid of the penalty of sin, because we just prayed that. Remember that last week? Father, forgive me. Father, forgive me, for, forgive me for what I've done. So there's some things in my life that I admit are dark and I've come into the light. And I need some things to confess. Forgive me of this. And when you, he gives you that forgiveness and he removes the penalty of sin, but Christians are not just interested in removing the penalty of sin. They're also interested in mo- removing the presence of sin from their life because they know that it can destroy them. Check out what James says about sin in James 1. And, James chapter 1, blesses is the man who remains steadfast under trial. You know, he's talking about trial a bunch there. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, but he himself tempts no one. But each, per- when, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. I have a friend, Seth Africa, who says this. He says, young lions become big lions, and big lions eat people. So kill them when they're young. It's the way you deal with sin. Because if you, just, if you just say, you know, when the big test comes, when the big test comes, when the big test comes, I'll be ready. But there's all these little tests along the way. These little desires, these wrong desires, these evil desires that don't seem like much. That's why we're always like, man, you got to be in community, because sometimes you can't even see these attitudes. They come up when you're suffering, which is why we... we, You see, it's, it's interesting. When we need friends the most, we want them the least. Because when sin comes out of our life the most, it's when we're really under pressure. You talk to anyone in this room who's walked through some painful stuff, and they'll tell you when I dealt with sin the most is when, I, when my life was under the most pressure, when I was sick, when I lost my job, when my relationships are all pear shaped. And so what happens is you're going through this difficult circumstance, and all the, you're under the test. You're under the test. You're under the test. The temptation and all the stuff that's inside of you starts to come outside of you. And your friends are like, "Man, I'm, I want to pray with you, man. That's tough. To that's rough. But let me, let me. I'm seeing some sin things. We." When we need friends the most, we want them the least. That's just I to encourage you in your relationships, in those in your community group and your friends, like a brother or sister who would have the the courage and the strength and the love because they know <laughs> they know that you know they, they know that if they bring this thing up that you're not going to be oh well thank you very much you know you're gonna. So you can know that you got a friend that really, really loves you. I'll tell you someone who's not loved very much. is when you are walking in sin, or what the Bible would call dangerously close to sin, and you have nobody to point that out to you. Or no one does. That is an unloved person. But the brother or sister who would come alongside you and say, Hey, I'm noticing some things in your life. that the Bible calls sin, or it's on the pathway to that. It's desires that lead to sin, that grow up and kill you. Love that brother and sister who points that out. So finally though, to endure the test, uh, you got to know that you're coming to a father who loves you. See this prayer starts with our father. Um, and everything, both grammatically and theologically, is modified by that. Meaning like everything is tied to our father. So our fa- every petition that we pray we're 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 it's coming from this idea that we're coming to a father in heaven. We're coming to a father in heaven. We're coming to a father in heaven because there's there's a three bad ways that I see people respond to pressure. We've kind of talked about them a little bit but I'll define them. First of all, angry despair. Angry despair. Why is this happening to me? I don't deserve this. There is no justice. Angry despair. There's guilty despair. I must be terrible. All the things that people have told me all my life, they must be true. I must be a failure. I wouldn't be suffering unless I'd done something wrong. Some get angry to I don't deserve this. Some get guilty to I do deserve this. Others harden themselves. There's a third way. These, life stinks. This is the way life is, and I don't care anymore. You just get hard, and you stop caring. So when trials come in your life, when tests come in your life, and they will come in your life, you can choose one of those three. Or you can be a Christian. You can know that you have a Father in heaven who loves you. Christians know, Christians aren't, want, aren't, aren't people who think that they're better than everyone else. Uh, they certainly don't think they deserve a better life, but they know that they've been adopted by a father in heaven who loves them. When you think about what adoption is, when a child is adopted, that's a legal action by the father. And the reason why the father adopts a child isn't be like, "Hey, there's someone who resembles me, looks just like me. It's got all my characteristics, values." That's not how it's not what happens when you adopt someone. You adopt someone that has nothing like you. Doesn't look like you from a from a different born from a different family. You don't adopt them because they share your characteristics. They begin to share your characteristics because you adopt them. And that's what the Father does for us. We we were never chosen because we resembled God, that we resembled Jesus. We weren't chosen because we were good. Romans clearly says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He picked us. He picked us when we weren't good. I'll say it this way: When Jesus died for you on the cross, He knew who He was buying. He knew who He was getting. It wasn't like He, did, you know, He didn't huddle up with the Spirit and say, "Hey, did we write anything in the Bible that says we can get out of this if they don't turn out okay? <laughs> Is there some like thirty-day policy? Are we stuck with them? No. No. So a christian who knows that it has a father in heaven loves him knows that he is loved like a natural born son and what happened when when jesus remember when jesus was getting baptized there was his voice from heaven said this is my son whom i am well pleased and we can receive that love as well to be a christian is to know that you have fallen short and regardless of how troubling your life is a christian understands that he actually deserves far worse Christian understands that when anything bad happens to them, they know that they deserve far worse. So it gets rid of the anger and the bitterness. Hey, anything north of hell is a good day. I deserve far worse. If you don't have that understanding, if you've never come to this place of like, I deserve, I do deserve death. Then maybe you've never actually given your life to Jesus. So Christian understands that he deserves worse, and that gets rid of the anger and the bitterness. But he also they also look at the sacrifice on the cross, knowing full well that he, when he bought us, he knew what he was buying, and that we are eternally loved by the Father, as much as he loves his natural born son, and that gets rid of the that gets rid of the. Um, not just the anger, but it gets rid of the guilt. That's why Paul can say so confidently in Romans, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And it, then it gets rid of the indifference, because you know that if God, if this is happening to me, I know, I know my God is not indifferent toward me. He is a loving father. In fact, when you read about Jesus in the Bible, one of the key emotions he expressed was compassion and would often weep. He would see the suffering, he'd weep. And we know. Uh, from the Bible that Jesus said about himself, that if you see me, you've seen the Father. And you read things like in Psalms where it says, like, he bottles up all of our tears. Every tear that you've ever cried, he knows about. He kn- he's more aware of your pain and suffering than you are aware of your pain and suffering. And he's with us in this. And he can no more bear it than you can. He's not going to he's not let it happen a second more than it needs to. But you can confidently think he must be doing something great in me because I see Jesus on the cross and I see the suffering that he endured. I see the pain that he endured. And look what happened because of that. I, the enemy may be trying to set a trap for me, but what the enemy meant for harm, I know my God will make for good. He'll do something great to this. This death will lead to resurrection. So you must be doing that with me. So Christian, do you expect trials? Are you ready? You got your fist up? Ready to throw down? It's coming. Paul said to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians two 11, don't be unaware of the scheme to the enemy. They're all around you. Are you, are you, are you expecting it? And here's another one. Are you embracing it? knowing that it's going to produce something amazing in you. It's not going to it's not gonna, it's not gonna hurt you. It's not punishment. It's purification. It's making you. It's tests. It's making you a better person. It's getting, it's getting what's in you out of you so that you can really thrive. The plow is coming in, turning up the ground so that a harvest can come in your life.